Um, it's more just trial and error. I know how I felt. I know how I feel now. I, I definitely know how my head um, felt during practice and games, and mm-hmm. it, it's not. It wasn't a normal thing. So um, it's like being hit by a car every time. <laughs> Got it. Makes in a good sense. way, I guess. Right. Makes per- yeah. In a fun way. In a fun way. <laughs> <laughs> it's all worth it, man. It's all for the glory. Cool. Um, all righty then. Well, with that said, man, we'll just jump on in. So today, guys, we're talking to Barrett Resnick. Um, and how did we originally hook up? We hooked up on uh, social media, did we not? Uh, it could have been social media. I know I had introduced myself a long time to you. Uh, I saw a long time ago. I saw you at the Rush Club with uh, with uh, Pila. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Walking in um, to one of the Rush Club events. That's right. Yeah. That's right, man. That's been what. Three or four, three years ago? I think, yeah, three or four years. Probably four years ago is more accurate. Yeah, when that was, was that when he was going up against Dancer? Yeah, Sam Dancer. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. He was so nervous about that. Yeah, was he really? Yeah. He He looked cool under pressure, though. He totally did, man. And he had a good performance, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love Dan. He's great people, man. Mm -hmm. But screw Dan, man. We're here to talk about you. (laughs) So um, you uh, obviously have had a very interesting path. And um, I know some of the topics we're going to talk about today is, you know, kind of going down your path into uh, collegiate sports and then also coming out of collegiate sports and um, some brain injury stuff mm-hmm. that you were telling me about. So uh, maybe we can just start at the beginning, man. Tell tell uh, us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and um, you know a little bit about that pathway going into collegiate sports. Um, I think uh, I think your pathway is a little different because you didn't play football growing up every no. year of your life, did you? No, not at all. Not at all. And um, you know, so like you said, I, I didn't really play super young. I didn't play until high school. And, um, it, it was one of those things that I was always too big to play in my age group. And I was always either too afraid or my parents were too afraid. Honestly, I, I, I kind of really don't remember a whole lot about it when I was young. It, at some point, I remember just kind of giving up on it because it was, I would have to play with kids two or three grades older than me. Um, and I didn't feel like I could, I think handle it at that time. So didn't really play until, until high school played, did some other things, judo, wrestling, all that kind of stuff, all the way through years, baseball a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then really wanted to play football, uh, and got into it in, in high school, uh, grew up out here in the Valley of the Sun, Phoenix, um, went to high school out in Scottsdale. Um, so started playing there my freshman year, um, a big kid, 230 pounds, um, um, and, and right there, then they're pegged as a lineman, right? Immediately. And, yeah. yeah. So you're yeah. what, like 15? How much in? space can you take? Right. Up, exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. Um, you're not, you're not fast enough to run and <laughs> you're saying, you know, I'm, we're not even going to test your hands to see if you can throw or catch, but, right. um, you know, so you're, you're, you're a down lineman, offense and offense and defense and, uh, played all four years there, um, had fun, um, and then, um, you know, I think what actually got me probably more involved in the sports than anything was I got into a fitness strength and conditioning program out here in Phoenix um, at the age of 12 uh, that my dad uh, threw me into. Um, he gave me 30 days. Um, he's like, because I, I totally didn't want to do it. You know, I was the fat kid. You know, I could have very easily become like, um, I say it lightheartedly, like a computer nerd gamer. Like I could have been the guy who never touched a sport or barbell in my life. And my dad's like, Hey, 30 days, if you don't like it, you don't have to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and so I started doing it and the coach, um, that I got hooked up with, uh, I was really fortunate that, uh, he was really involved into local high school sports out here and and he pushed it and it got me really excited for it. Um, 
And then, um, without being pressured from my parents or my dad or anything, I, you know, wanted to do it my freshman year in high school, went through that, um, somehow got a scholarship to play for the university of Nevada. Um, the, the, the Northern school, the good one, not the, <laughs> not to bash, but not the community <laughs> college down South, UNLV, the um, wolf pack. The, yeah, that's right. The, the real, the real wolf pack, the yeah. university of Nevada wolf pack. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, um, went through college sports up there was an offense lineman. I think I was actually told I was recruited as a defense lineman mm -hmm. day one. I got there different coach. They threw me on offense. It's probably better. I liked offense better. Um, so was, was there a reason behind that? I After don't, they saw I, you play a little bit or I no? don't know because I had two different, two different coaches, um, through my career there mm -hmm. and the coach that um, was there when I got there, he was actually not the guy who recruited me because that coach had left and I got there as a whole different, um, offense line coach, um, who, who was actually from here, from Northern Arizona. He, he was a coach at NEU for a number of years before going uh, up in Reno. And then, um, I think he was the one that made the decision to pull me over offense when I got there. Um, so I spent my, uh, my career playing offensive guard, um, uh, we were both sides, right and left. So, uh, I think a strong, strong guard, a strong guard. So we swapped every yeah. single, every single play, every couple of plays. Um, and, um, through there sustained, I think probably thousands of hits <laughs> on my head. So um, what was that transition like though? Going from, uh, it was like the high school game into the college game. Is it, is it even comparable? It's, it's not, it's significantly faster. Um, you, you, I had no clue going into it. I, I was probably super naive because you know, also playing high school, I, I never really watched football that much. I still don't mm -hmm. to this day. I liked playing it, but never really was a fan of watching it. So it, it, and even watching it, I'm not sure how many people might grasp the speed concept. Um, but I think footwork was the biggest thing. Um, like how fast and how precise each foot has to be in each movement has to be perfect in order for things to line up mm. and to be able to block someone that's equally as aggressive and fast and probably faster in some cases, um, trying to get behind you and past you, um, or, or whatever they're trying to accomplish. But, um, it was definitely a much faster game from the speed of the game and physically and then mentally as well. Yeah. So when you're talking about the footwork, um, it's, it's always, it's always been interesting to me. I played football growing up. I played football all the way through, you know, high school. I wasn't good enough to do much more than that, but I always enjoyed playing the defensive side Yeah, because I felt like I had more freedom. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, you said the opposite though. You said, you're like, dude, I, I wanted to be on the offensive side and uh, you started talking about the footwork. So I'm just curious, like after you got to that level and you started, you know, really getting some good quality coaching yeah. and uh, learning, you know, the nuances of the position, mm -hmm. like who has the advantage, man, the offense guy or the defensive guy it's, on the line? It's hard. So, <laughs> um, I think, I think offense is very mapped out it's very coordinated and planned. And even though I know my targets, my priorities are to block this guy, but I also might have a second or tertiary guy to block. I liked knowing where I was supposed to go in the plan. Uh, of where it was supposed to be and and going into college you're taught every play that is called is actually designed to score like it like every play is a perfect play it just has to be executed perfectly um, whereas I think defense um, in general is more reactive in general like in general I know there's a couple nuances there especially like linebackers but in general you're more reactive and um, I felt like I worked better with a with a plan a structure 
Yeah. So I think that, that for me, the difference was, and, and just naturally through high school, I was better offensive line anyways. Mm. Yeah. I, I, for whatever reason I couldn't, it's weird. I know I couldn't grasp the concept of defense. <laughs> like what I'm not supposed to, like, I need to plug this hole. I'm not supposed to go directly to the guy that's carrying the ball. I have to just stay here. You know, like that, that just didn't resonate. Didn't resonate. Yeah. yeah. So uh, when you went into that scheme, obviously you said the speed difference was massive. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming the level of athleticism like went straight through the roof. It did. Yeah. What what did uh, training look like compared to like the high school side of things? So um, high school, um, uh, like I said, I was blessed with a, a at least a good strength and conditioning coach. I'll, I'll start with the the, the gym part, and um, I got really strong. I was probably stronger in most regards in high school than I was in college. And, and I think that's the two biggest differences. Um, and, and in high school, trained more for solo lifts, one rep, max, back squats, bench press, um, power clean, which is I know is more explosive, but it was more one rep. In college, by the time we got there, it was more uh, we're going to rep it out. We're, we're going to see how strong you can get, but then we're going to take 80% of that and we want to see you go to failure. So I'm like, uh, like CP battery testing type stuff. Yep, exactly. We want to see how many reps you can do. And then from there we'll calculate your max. So mm -hmm. I think the only time I ever hit a max was a back squat in college. Everything else was by reps. Mm. Yeah. And, and then beyond that, there was a lot more ladder work, speed work. Um, not that I didn't do all that stuff in high school, but, um, and a lot more practical work whereas um, you're actively working with your steps and your footwork against an opponent mm -hmm. at that point, even outside of practice. So there was a lot more collaboration between both sides um, on with my teammates working through those drills, just working one, two steps. So much like more nuance in those mm -hmm. uh, in, in each drill, like perfecting, exactly perfecting the movements maybe. Yeah. It was probably more, um, uh, specific versus generalized at that point. Right on. So then when you went in, you know, as a freshman, I'm assuming, uh, what was it like to, you know, get exposed to the college program? Like what is the, what are the first things they take you through? What is that experience like? Um, so you're just kind of thrown into it. Like, uh, I, I think day one you walk in, um, you know, beyond like walking into the dorms and, you know, being torn away from like, I live with my parents my whole life, you know, I never really, I was sheltered, I guess, to a degree, which is a good, I think a good thing, but like then you I got go a to close family. So. Yeah. I got a really close family and yeah. then I go to college and that's away from me. So besides that, it's like day one, you meet with the team, you're going to practice. You think you're going to practice, but it's a conditioning test. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, going from a, a Phoenix elevation to uh, a mile high in Reno, um, the elevation smacked me in the face. Uh, the sun was, you know, it was cooler. It was like 95 degrees probably, but it felt just as hot because the sun was closer. It was field turf. You know, I'm used to grass out here in Arizona. Um, so all those things kind of played into it and, and it was, it felt a lot harder than I thought it was going to be just the conditioning testing alone. It was hundred, hundred meter sprints and then a 400 meter run. Uh -huh. I think you had to hit a certain time in each one. Mm -hmm. But then after that practice, like, um, being a freshman, um, you know, you are trying to compete at your highest level, um, but you're not quite there, you know, um, physically and probably mentally as a lot of the um, other positions could be. Uh, it's very rare as an offense lineman uh, to play. Um, you almost have to be, I guess, trained over a couple of years, maybe a year, 
couple years before you actually start getting some playing time. And cause there's that difference in physicality in the game. Um, but the best way to do it was like, my job was to play against the first string starters and defense. Like, you know, I, I think that's pretty common. And I think that's where I learned a lot of the speed of the game. And, um, you know, at least at my school, every day was pads. Every day was hitting. We never, we never, you never had a film day. Never had a, nope. <laughs> never had a shorts and helmets day. Nope. Never had a shorts and helmets <laughs> day, especially, um, you know, when we switched over to head coaches later on, but, uh, the first couple of years, um, it, it was speed of the game. I, I think, uh, more than anything, that was really the big difference in getting exposure in front of the other players. And my job was to actually make them their job hard and, and not let them go through the the motions. And so looking back on that, uh, you know, with the, with what you know now and, and being able to kind of put a timeline to it, like how long do you think it took you to actually adjust to the, to that added level of athleticism? Okay. So, um, I don't think I, athleticism, probably my third year. Really? Uh, yeah. I, I didn't really feel comfortable my third year mentally, probably not until my fourth year. Really? Yeah. Wow. So why do you draw a distinction between those two? Uh, so like I was always told that, uh, I think in high school, I, I was actually told that by some upperclassmen, uh, upperclassmen when I was, when I was a sophomore and they're like, you're too nice. We're going to take you behind the shed and beat you with some chains. And, and I think that was true. Like uh, I was nice. I was big and I was strong and I can, I can manhandle, but I wasn't mean. And I, and it, that, that part actually didn't click on, click until my, um, my fourth year, which is my technically my junior year uh, playing football, uh, didn't really click. And, and I didn't, I don't think I got good until that mentality that the ability to turn on and off the anger between plays, um, got there and be able to focus that, that I call it anger, that, fo that focus, um, of anger and rage towards the other person with regard to your assignment. I didn't, I didn't build that until my junior year and I don't, it just happened. Like yeah. I, I didn't train for it. I didn't ask for it. It just happened. So when you say just happened, you mean you just like walked out on the field one day and suddenly you could turn it on and off or it, it was a game. Yeah. It happened in, in a game. Oh, yeah. Did yeah. Someone yeah, I, smack you around or something? No, or? like, like by my first game, my, my junior, my retro, well, it was like my, my fourth year there, like, uh, like all of a sudden the rage was there and I, I was able to play angry and it, and it felt good. And so I kept, kept going with it and it felt even better. And, um, you know, every once in a while, like my offense line coach had to call me down on the sidelines, which to me, I think was fun. And like I said, I was still able to control it and, and hone it in and I actually did fairly well that year. So I, to me, that was a good positive dis, you know, distinction. Like I'm doing something good, you know, playing angry is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> you went dark side. Yep. Totally. That's totally. awesome, man. So like, uh, like looking, like thinking about that, right. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially nowadays, there's sort of this idea that men are not emotional. Mm -hmm. or that they shouldn't be emotional. Yeah. But then when I look at sports, especially at the high levels, like, you know, football, for example, you go to the college level, you go to the, you know, the professional level and all you see is dudes getting hyped up. Yeah. Getting ready for the yeah. game. And that's emotion. Yeah. I think there's probably different emotions in what we're talking about, you know, uh, when in regards to what society views. Right. So when, when people are saying, or at least I'm speculating here that men are emotional, or don't show their emotions, they're probably thinking of more the, the feminine 
feminine type of emotions versus more masculine type of emotions, like you said, in game getting hyped up. Not that you don't see that on you know both genders, uh, but you're probably more likely to get it, see it exposed that that hyped up feel that um, that woo woo that you know energy and excitement when men do sports, um, and and that is definitely a, a, an emotion emotion and a half. And I felt that that's exactly what we're talking about. My, my fourth year there. Yeah, that's cool. I, I mean, I think for me, I look at that and I see, you know, obviously like you're saying, you know, you you learn to go dark side on mm. certain plays, right. And you learn to turn it on and off, but why, right? Like, so there's this question about why, like you wouldn't give everything, you know, that you had to give for people you didn't care about. Totally. Right? Totally. So I think that there's like this idea of community Mm-hmm. And you could call it a, a brotherhood, yeah. You yeah. know, um, sisterhood if you're playing female sports or yeah. whatever the case may be. But I see that as being not necessarily a masculine only trait. Like you're caring about the community, right? You're caring about Definitely. people, which I think is statistically been shown to be more of like a female sort of a. Mm-hmm. sort of a trait yeah more so community i mean and that's 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 definitely an interesting perspective that i didn't think about when it came to the sport and that mentality making those connections until just now but i, I guess thinking about it i was probably more willing to give to to that sport in you know die on the field because i was i was definitely more connected at that point to those that i was actually playing next to mm-hmm. at any given moment for um, sure definitely built a stronger bond uh, by that time. Yeah. That's one of the things that I always missed about team sports. Like mm-hmm. once I got out of, well, I went out of uh, high school and I, I played a little, uh, club lacrosse in college. Yeah. And so we had a bit of that, but there was this idea that I always loved about football because there was this, this camaraderie because we, we went through so much together, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in the off season, in the training room, yep. you know, all the sweating, the bleeding, you know, broken bones, all of it. Living with each other at some points, like for yeah. me, yeah, that was that was. I think part of it is, you know, um, I lived with these guys for the, the entire five years I was there. Um, so building those bonds and those connections, yeah, yeah. It's it, to me, it's like family, man. I mean, there there's certain things that you know you would just go over and above for because of these people that you spent so much time with and built so many strong bonds with. Yeah. I think that's one of the cool things about CrossFit, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, we'll touch on that because yeah. you're, you're doing some CrossFit coaching. But I think that's one of the reasons that CrossFit is is popular. Not necessarily because it's as effective, because it is effective. But there's also this this camaraderie, this community, because you're in there. You're like beating each other up, you know, totally. in, in the wild. Going through the same, same <laughs> pain. The and same shit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then you can relate to the dudes who are like, you know, in the games, right? Like yeah. You do the same workouts. And you know how hard it is. You know how hard they're working. Yep. It's really yep. cool shit. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. I love CrossFit for that. For that sure. reason. I, I, I think the community aspect more than anything, actually. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I don't think it can be talked about enough. <laughs> yeah. It's probably not talked about enough. Yeah. I, I, you hear people talk about it, but I think unless you're actually, you've done it and you've been part of a gym that has a successful community, because there's are, there are those CrossFit gyms that, um, might not have a successful uh, community, and um, I would venture to guess that those g- gyms are are less successful than the ones that ha- have built a strong friendship and community inside. Um, but it, it's hard, almost hard to like talk about. Like, yeah, the community is great. Like, come for the community. The community is what builds a gym. It's all lip service. But until you, I think you really experience it, you don't understand it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's hard to convey to someone what you mean when you say community, family. Yeah. 
camaraderie. I mean, those are, there's just concepts that we don't necessarily wrap our minds around completely. Yeah. And, and unfortunately I think some, some words that I think would best describe it are, are now thrown, thrown in a negative manner on social media, but like, you know, try, find a tribe, you know, being tri, you know, tribal about this. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I know for a fact that me and my wife, um, looked for a tribe and we actually said we need to find a tribe for ourselves long before we actually landed up, uh, in the community that, that we're at now. And, um, once we found the community, we, we actually looked at each other and said, yeah, this is, this is our tribe. And we've told our friends and family and specifically used that word. And now it's just more blood to the word community. Cause I think you hear it more often. It's community. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So I'm curious to know now that you've been on both sides of it, you know, like, um, obviously we've got some, uh, some people in the CrossFit world who go super hard in the paint all the time. Like that's, yeah. that's their yeah, love yeah. right there. Addicted to it. Right. Pain cave. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, I'm, I'm curious to know like what your thoughts on are on compared to like the strength and conditioning program that you would have gone through, um, with the Wolfpack versus like a CrossFit style program. Like how do those compare or, or do they even compare? So, um, they, they don't actually, I think in general, I, I think most people are going to get what they need from a, um, a GPP CrossFit type of program. Um, and I think, going being young that works you know you know high school and younger that that probably works because you just really need to uh stroke athleticism um but then getting to a certain point you really need to i i think start i I hate the word sports specific but you really need to start focusing on more specifics that are going to hone or refine what you do and i think going through at least a college level program I i don't necessarily think that CrossFit in its current iteration would have done me uh, well from an offensive lineman standpoint. I sure the hell would have been a lot more athletic had I had it in my past. Um, but programs like CrossFit football, we're integrating more strength training um, and more muscle hypertrophy. I think those do have a lot of merits. And I think um, if you look at it in, in a lens um, when people think about what CrossFit is, is very varied. Um, look for that word, I guess, uh, much varied. Um, I think that you can take those components and melt what you would call a CrossFit gym and make it a more specific gym to certain athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, like I, so I'm kind of like, I guess, backtracking on my words. Um, I don't, I think there's a way to do it. I just don't know what that way would be. You mean to marry CrossFit up to like a specific program? Exactly. Marry CrossFit into a, um, a collegiate type of program. I guess I'm more, you know, once you start getting up through the higher ranks, um, in athleticism and, and working it and it, it wouldn't be like a friend, it mm-hmm. would be more heavy lifting, but Metcon related, I guess just. I use those broad concepts. I got you. Yeah. So uh, looking back at the the programs that you were going through in college, like what were your biggest takeaways that you brought out of that world? And now, um, you know, maybe you still employ them in the gym or, or do you, or are they only specific to, you know, like that particular type of training, like back in the football days? So I, I love squats. I mean, <laughs> like I think I, almost anyone that knows me knows that I love squats. Squats are by far, my favorite thing. I don't think a, a person in society could squat enough. I think, I think everyone should squat 
every single day. And actually it's funny that I, I, I probably only remember it because I, you know, I love squats and I actually saw the quote on it, uh, something along the lines that great Glassman, the owner of CrossFit said the other day was like every day that you squat is a day closer to the day that you can't squat anymore or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. It's like, so squat, move in those range of motions, do it as often as possible is what I took from it. Um, but those actually, you know, that squat love comes from a deeper rooted, um, idea and concept of when I was 12 and I started working out that my strength coach, um, here in North Phoenix, uh, he was, he, he told us broadly about this, this German, I think it was a German study done in like the eighties. Like you take certain individuals and, um, you make 20 of them do, uh, you test, their, you all test their bench press or whatever, some sort of upper body strength test. And then you take half those individuals and they do squats only. And you take another half of those individuals and they do bench press only. We're going to see both, um, at the end of a 12 week program, both groups are going to increase their bench press, even though one group only did squats. So squats improve everything. <laughs> so it's like, I love squats. I will make people do squats all the time if I could. Um, but as far as, um, you know, going from a sports specific collegiate type of program to CrossFit. Other than that, um, I did a little bit of Olympic lifting in college. I don't know. Like there's not a lot. I think I learned more outside of college, um, practicing on myself, practicing on others, and then just like learning, going through literature myself than I actually did in college. Um, where my major was related to strength and conditioning to a certain degree. I, I got my, my bachelor's in public health, but there was a lot of strength conditioning classes. Mm-hmm. So I definitely learned more going through CrossFit and being more interested um, in going through literature myself than I actually did in pre- anything previous to that. Right on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are you squatting these days? Not much. Well, okay. Not much to what I used to. <laughs> I, so like I said, I squatted more the most in college. I mean, high school between, between my senior in high school. And when I left for college, I squatted 675 and it's not a high school, it's not a high school squat 675. This was hip crease below the knee. The only gear that I wore was a belt. Like it was like, I'm pretty sure I had like Adidas shoes. There were no knee sleeves. I didn't know what lifters were at this time. So this was like, I was a strong kid and it was below parallel because I did powerlifting competitions out here and they're sanctioned and they had, you know, you have to hit a certain level. Um, Okay. Powerlifting is probably parallel, not below parallel. Um, you know, throw that out <laughs> there. Close enough. Close enough. Yeah. Um, but cause I, I remember going to my, um, freshman year in college, everyone, you know, all my, my roommates and stuff were like, Oh yeah, squat this, squat that first day in the weight room, dude, you ain't kind of close to squatting that. Cause you do not even come close to parallel. <laughs> I, I think I was the only one that was, was where I said I was at that point. And then high school, I mean, in college, then my squat went down to 670 or 625. Oh, poor so you. The, oh, no, right? Right. Uh, about three years ago, um, uh, three or four years, probably four years ago, around the same time we were talking about earlier as far as like Rush Club and all that stuff, mm-hmm. um, I was, uh, my squat was 630, uh, sorry, 535. Um, that, that, my f- back squat was 535. My front squat was 455. Mm. That was when I felt strong because when I got done with, I got done with playing college football, I lost a ton of weight. I went from nearly 300 pounds to 189. Wow. Like in a year, in one year. One year. Wow. One year. I'm like, my family thought I was a cancer patient. That's like two pounds a week, dude. Yeah. It it was insane. And they didn't see me. I was still in Reno and I came back one winter break or summer break or whatever it was. And 
Did you oh, scare them when they saw I did, you? I did. I did. It's embarrassing looking back at my wedding photos now. I was, uh, like they, I look so bad that small. <laughs> it, I really do. Uh, it did not look good on me, but, um, so I, I had lost all that strength cause I did not do strength training at all. Probably up until 2012. I didn't really start. Uh, so probably between 2006 to 2012, I didn't really consistently strength train. Mm-hmm. It was more cardio running, push-ups, sit-ups, some sort of Metcon in the gym every once in a while. I would do the infamous Fran, right. you know, like that, that was about it. Um, and then it wasn't until about 2012, 2013, where I started building back on my squat to, um, what we talked about 535. So long story short, I don't like, okay, my squats in the four hundreds right now. It's maybe not heavy. It's in the high four hundreds. I don't like, I'm not impressed by it, but it's heavy to most people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, you know, well, for someone who squatted nearly 700 pounds, I have <laughs> to admit that my squat's only in the 400s. Like, you know, it's so funny because, you know, most people would kill for a 400-pound squat. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. That's total perspective, so, dude. I, I have to get the whole backstory in that because, you know, I hate when I say, like, oh, I squat, you know, I think it was, like, 485 the last time I did a back squat a couple months ago, or uh, one rep max. And, and people are like, oh, wow, you're so strong. I'm like, I'm really not. I trust him. I'm not. <laughs> relative. Yeah. Yeah. Relative to what you used to be, maybe not. But dude, 400 pound squat. I mean, if you could carry like, I think if you can carry a 400 pound squat late in life, mm-hmm. I mean, that's doing something. Yeah, definitely. What, what, what is the thing? Like if you can squat, f- you know, I, I, I think it's 600 pounds and run a six minute mile. You're like an unstoppable athlete. So I always have that in the back of my mind as I'm, I'm doing any sort of gym, like, like what's the perfect ratio I can do both. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. How fat do I need to be versus, you know? <laughs> yeah, so I know, I know where that threshold is for me and I'm too heavy right now, but I, I know it's closer to the low 200s and 230, 235. Right. Yeah. Right. So are you doing any competitions these days? Uh, CrossFit competitions, weightlifting competitions. I haven't done in since what's it 2019 20 december of 2016 mm. um I, I i tell my friends that keep asking me about doing more competitions i, I tell them i'm retired <laughs> and it's probably more i'm retired for now but um you know typical strong guy mentality going to the gym lift heavy weights what the hell do i need to warm up for <laughs> you know so i you know i got to the point where like i got myself injured you know lower back injury and who which i have you know experienced probably every couple of years since the middle of college. Mm-hmm. Um, but they progressively get worse because I don't pay attention to them. And in 20 December, 2016, I, I injured my lower back and I didn't squat for eight months after that. And I just started squatting, you know, my, whatever was that the end of this, uh, the end of 2017 again, and, and really just started ramping it up again this October. I did squat over and squat every day in October and that worked out really well. So, uh, but this time, um, really focusing on mobility and trying to maintain that, um, or I guess stave off, stave off, stave off, or not get re- or not, not work my way into injury again in the future yeah. and still be able to squat. Yeah. You got it right. Stave off injury. Stave off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how did you end up hurting your lower back to begin with? Was it through squatting? No, it was deadlifts. <laughs> it was weird. Like, so I, every, every other time I've hurt myself, I probably hurt myself five times since since my, I was a sophomore in college all the way through what, um, that back injury I was just talking about is probably five previous times and they're all on squat mm-hmm. and they're always at lower weight, lower weights. So when I talk about lower weights and I'm like, like I said, I used to squat 675. I would always hurt myself in like 135 
it was always something really super light. Um, so I just want to say like stupid mentality, get in, don't warm up in the gym, go start right. hitting a barbell. It's cold bar uh, everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it was deadlifts in, you know, I, I got in, in my head at one point. I'm like, I need to stretch a lot and I'm going to stretch a lot and then I'm going to go lift. Well, I learned for me and probably most people, that's not the best idea. Let's do dynamic warm up first and then lift and then stretch afterwards. And I stretched too much one, one day and deadlift and popped my back. And I was just, um, and it was just a train wreck for like the next couple months after that. Um, you know, it was fun having a small, what was it? 20, well, I said 2016, a small three-year-old that wanted to be carried all the time. And mm. I, you know, my back hurt and had to suffer through that. And yeah. So, so was it a disc injury? Uh, yeah. Slip disc. Mm. Yeah. And it took you how long to come back? A couple months, you said? Uh, I didn't, well, I probably started doing Metcons again around that, what, let's say the opens around like what, late, late February. Yeah. So from December through, so almost like two and a half, three months, I didn't really do much. And then I started lifting again or started working out again about three months later. And then actually didn't back squat at all. Didn't touch a squat of any kind for eight months after I hurt my back. That had to hurt. Yeah. It did. It did. Cause squat, squat was life. That's your jam. Man. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, you know, to, to get your thoughts on like loading, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, obviously it's nice to be able to load. It's nice to be able to, you know, have a big barbell to play mm-hmm. with. But at what point in life do you think that that's detrimental to a human? I think that it's going to change. I, th- I think so you can take this one of many ways for me, it was like around, 30 to 31. Mm. That, that was, that was me when I, you know, let's start pulling back and working more technique and working in all the little areas and aspects of my life that I completely neglected all those little holes in my athleticism. Um, and, um, uh, for somebody that may have never touched a barbell in their life, um, they could probably get and it's in relatively good mobility standards. They can probably get away with it later on life so, and, and heavy is relative, right? Um, what's heavy to me is not heavy to somebody else. And what's heavy to someone else is maybe not, not, not heavy to me. So it's all relative. Right. And so, um, I think that's going to depend on many factors. It, it, and like, for example, maybe a runner who is, you know, run, ran their whole life and, chronically short, short or tight shoulders, short pecs, overextended upper back, um, probably short hip flexors is, is probably going to be in the same boat I am and is not going to be able to squat heavy, um, for an extended period in their later life. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're going to have to work on working through mobility standards, I I guess. Yeah, for sure. Isn't it like runners have a very high rate of injury, like just in general? Uh, for their sport, relative uh, to like relative, weightlifting. Yeah, and stuff like exactly. That. Relative to their sport. And, um, but I think when you're looking under time under like tension and duration, um, they're definitely, um, working a lot more than I think someone who is a traditional weightlifter who, you know, weightlifters, I, I think the, the, um, the the paradigm is they they lift one they do one rep and they go sit in a chair for exactly. three, three to five minutes That's so it. yeah there's a lot more work gotta rebuild done. that atp baby <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so a, a lot more uh, duration and um and i guess wear and tear on maybe a runner's body than someone who might lift a heavy load once or twice 
Yeah. Yeah. I know joint wise that that has to be true, but I've always wondered about the spinal column. Yeah. And that like, uh, you know, specifically with for me, like front squats hurt. Mm. I'd say put more intention on my lower back than a back squat does. I'm the opposite. Really? Yeah. And, um, so for me, like, uh, I can feel the tension in my back. I feel shorter. Like mm. I, and I, I've never measured this. This is probably just my crazy yeah, yeah. imagination, but I feel like I'm being compressed when I come off those days. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then there's other days when, you know, I mobilize, I do body weight type stuff and I've always had good mobility, but mm. I feel good. Like I feel better about myself those yeah. days. But yeah. then by the same token, I'm not able to squat 400 pounds. You Definitely. Know? I don't have that ability. So I think for someone like me, I'm looking for a balance between the two because I, you know, I want to carry fitness and wellness deep into life, right? Like mm-hmm. what good is it to have a 600 pound squat at 30, totally. but you can't walk at 35. Totally. Totally. And, and, and I feel the same way and I'm starting to like understand that concept more like I'm, I'm old. My day was back in college. I don't know. And I say I'm old. I mean, I'll, I'll use air quotes on that one. I, 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 my heyday was, was, was in college. I don't need to relive any of those days. I don't, I don't, I have nothing to prove by squatting all this amount of weight. Even, even when it, like I was doing some weightlifting competitions, uh, locally in, um, you know, snatch and clean and jerk. Um, it was more for me than anything. And, and that was, those are kind of my last hurrahs. Yeah, I could do it, but I don't know how much more potential I have left in me. I got a family. I want to spend more time with them. So the cost benefit is I could get to a better level, but I'd have to sacrifice a lot more of that time to get to those levels. So let's work on more longevity at this point. For sure. What do you say to these guys that are like, you know, 15, 60 years old and they're still squatting like 500 pounds, deadlifting big weights? I'm jealous. I really, I'm jealous and their life is probably different than mine and I'm okay with that. Yeah, it's cool. I I mean, I love seeing it, dude. I, I, such a meathead watching these guys, yeah. you know, get off on that stuff. But I have to wonder if at one point their body just says enough is enough. You're going to be crippled tomorrow. Or if it's just it's, like, because we've trained and conditioned our bodies to be under this amount of load mm-hmm. so often and for so long that their bodies are just like, well, we can take, it's not a big deal. Yeah, definitely. And, and then there's also outliers, right? Like you hear those, um, people that, you know, are 98 years old and they've smoked every day of their life. They smoke a pack of cigarettes every day in their life and they're still alive with no, no signs of cancer. Those are the outliers. So yeah. I'm sure those, those same people in the, in the fitness realm as well. For sure, man. For sure. That's cool stuff. Um, tell me a little about, about, uh, tell me a little bit about your, uh, experience, um, coming off the football field. Mm-hmm. Didn't you say you had some, um, like some residual effects that you felt like um, may have stemmed from some sort of brain trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. So I haven't, um, formally like been to any doctor or practitioner or anything to get any evaluation. Um, but going into college and coming out of college, um, were two different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, coming out of college, um, I think word recall was significantly more difficult. Uh, I definitely stuttered quite a bit. I was telling you earlier that uh, my wife would make fun of me a little bit for it. And, and maybe this could be more retrospect that I'm thinking about it. I think she made more made fun of me after she realized it was gone than at the point of which I, I did stutter. Good save. Uh, there. Good yeah, save. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, you know, stu- you know, I stuttered a lot. Uh, memory recall wasn't as great. And, and those things are still there, but just not to a degree that they were when I first got out of college. Um, focus and attention, um, was hard to come by 
and motivation was hard to come by. And by motivation, I mean like if I have a given, you know, if, if, if someone gave me or gave myself 10 tasks to do and I need to get them done today, I didn't want to do them, you know, even, even if I had to. Um, and, and I would every once in a while, but like I didn't have the, the motivation day to day to do, to do those, uh, short form, uh, tasks. Um, was this immediately following your college experience? Yeah, yeah, totally. This is immediately following college. Um, in, in a lot of these things, with the exception of the, um, stuttering, which I identified right away, it, it's not a lot of these things. I also really didn't know I had until I started clearing them up. And, re- and looking back on them retrospectively, like what hindsight's always twenty twenty, uh, so that that was kind of the, that situation. Um, it wasn't really until I started changing my diet and then um, started to things started to get better and improve that my wife like she started calling me out on it in a positive way, like hey, you know, like you used to stutter slash aka make fun of me at some point. I don't remember specifically she used to say, but you know, every once in a while I'll come up in a, in a funny way. Um, used to stutter, you know, and then I started thinking about myself, all those things I mentioned were there and things were getting better. And then, um, I think, um, you know, listening to other people talk through podcasts or looking on the internet, um, Facebook, social media, um, all those things you, you start to learn that there are other people out there that were experiencing something similar that I was maybe it wasn't necessarily through sports. Sometimes it was, um, but you know, they're, they're starting to have certain symptoms that like, Oh yeah, I may have had that, or I do have that. Mm-hmm. And you start to pick up on some other t- things that you can do stress reduction, maybe certain supplements, um, that do help. And, and some do, and some don't. And, and I think a lot of this is through trial and error. And, and I definitely feel significantly better than I used to. And it's all retrospective, like looking back at the hundreds and thousands of hits, I had every day in practice and games, um, that I was affected through. Right. So specifically we're talking about, uh, TBI. So any of you guys out there listening and you want to learn more about this, just do a search for TBI and you'll, you'll stumble across a whole mm-hmm. bunch of information. Yeah. Traumatic brain injury. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Traumatic, traumatic brain injury. head injury. Yeah. In yeah those terms. Exactly. Um, but I'm curious to know, did you hear about the, the brain bank that they built out in Boston back in 2008? No. What is that? Yeah. So, uh, it's kind of cool. They, um, th- this touches on exactly what you're talking about with TBI, but, uh, they specifically, I think we're looking for different types of brain trauma. Okay. So they started at what they called a brain bank. I think it was in Boston. Uh, don't quote me on that. I just found out about the study the other day. Uh, when I was researching for the podcast, but, um, over the last, I guess, ever how long it's been since then, 10 or 12, 10 or 12 years now, mm-hmm. um, they've been taking in donated brains from oh, really? various, like cadavers, uh, I guess from, from people who agreed to just donate their brains based on their occupation. Okay. So like if they were in an occupation where they would experience, um, some sort of contact, like, uh, in the military, mm-hmm. um, professional football players yeah. were another one. And, um, this, the information that I read said that they had taken in 220 some odd brains. Okay. Yeah. So the interesting part about this the brain bank, I'm yeah, the brain bank, yeah. you definitely look it up. Um, I think the article I saw was in time. I'll actually post it in the, in the notes okay. so that, uh, so that everyone can get a, get access to it. But it was like 202, uh, deceased players from football. Um, and they were testing the brains for, uh, CTE. So chronic mm-hmm. traumatic 
encephalopathy, if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah. yeah. But basically, it's just like atrophy of the brain. Like the brain is sort of dying and shrinking. Mm-hmm. And of the um, 111 players that played in the professional football league, mm-hmm. 110 of them had CTE. That's interesting. Yeah. I believe it, though. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know you touched on it, too. Like, um, we're, we're talking about my, my career and playing football, but you said military. Um, I, I definitely have friends that, that played the military and experiencing IEDs and explosions play a huge, huge role into a lot of that as well. And, um, even, even lesser. So I have heard of people experiencing this, uh, by simple car accident, uh, that they thought nothing of or falling off their bike as a kid, or, you know, just, I, I've heard many different stories. It, it, it could be something simple like that. It doesn't have to be a chronic over, you know, you know, comp, you know, use of repetitive force on the head. It could be something simple as well. Yeah, for sure. And uh, earlier when you were talking about your story, you said that there were some things that you had done to start kind of mitigating the effects of it. Um, and the interesting thing is too, when you said, uh, um, you know, I've never, I haven't been seen by anyone. I don't really, mm-hmm. you know, I've not really been diagnosed or whatever, but, um, in the study that I read, it said the only way to really, uh, actually diagnose like CTE specifically would be to actually take the brain out. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that too. <laughs> right. So yeah. uh, I'm there, not there, sure that they can tell you. Yeah. I, th- I think there's like certain things that they can test for is like, um, cognition and right certain impairments like that. But there, there, it's funny you say that there, there's a doctor of California. Uh, I can't remember his first name is Dr. Amens, you know, like a M E N, uh, I think, uh, a M E N S, um, out of California. He does brain scans. I, I don't know specifically what kind of brain scans that uh, he does, but I think it's supposed to be more like neuroactivity. And he, um, does work with people that have had uh, TBI, or various other issues. Um, sometimes it's just simple Alzheimer's or, well, that's not simple, but you know, Alzheimer's or a normal brain or, um, you know, chronic marijuana user, uh, a normal brain. And he'll just compare, compare and contrast on social media, what, what they look like as far as neuroactivity. And, um, he's always highlighting people with a TBI on there. So, I wonder if that's like more of an avenue that people can start looking into or something, you know, something like those folks. Yeah, definitely. About, we'll have know. to uh, link to that resource. Um, do you know what kind of scans he was doing? Uh, like I said, I'm not sure. I think it's more like neuroactivity. Um, so that'd be like a PET scan maybe? Yeah, or yeah. It, it, an it's, fMRI? It's super colorful. I saw it. Okay. It's pretty. It's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty and colorful. Yeah, different colors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the pretty colors. Sure, yeah. So, um, so what are some of those things you were talking about that, um, like, obviously you noticed you came off, the, you came out of college, right? And, mm-hmm. um, you said that there was a noticeable difference in like, uh, your memory, your yeah. cognition, mm-hmm. your speech. Yeah. Right. And so what did you, what did you do, um, to start mitigating that? And you had mentioned diet for one. Yeah. So nothing what does the nothing diet, intentionally what does diet at first. Like? Yeah. The, the diet thing was the, the huge one um, that I started noticing, um, some improvement and, and that was more like, Hey, <clears throat> I, you know, I've been doing CrossFit since 2007 and I see all these people jumping on the paleo diet, you know, or at least gluten-free, you know, kind of stuff. And, um, and so I was like, Hey, you know, I, you know, kind of put the bug in my ear to my wife. Let's, let's try this paleo diet. And, 
I think after about three months of convincing her, we finally came around to it. And, you know, like one day we're like, all right, we're doing it. We went through our pantry. We threw out everything, all the flour, sugar, just completely purged. Uh, like off of cold a turkey. Yeah, cold turkey, just <laughs> everything. We even got rid of milk for a while, too, and all like other dairy. Like we hit it hard with like coconut oil and we weren't even doing butter. Like we're that far off, wow. the, off the one extreme. And, and um, that's when I first started noticing things improve. Um, and then I think, so, um, you know, down the road started doing more like meditation and relaxation techniques, um, where, um, I would do both guided meditation or self meditation, um, like still this type of medic, uh, meditation where I could just be with my own thoughts and clear everything out and, um, nothing that I specifically learned, but like something that would help me be at peace by myself and, um, try to clear everything out. I guess it's the best I can explain it in my, in my head. Um, and that was another point where I noticed that things helped out as far as clarity and thought. Um, and then it really wasn't up until recently, um, where I started making the correlation where a lot of these things are magnified as far as the benefit you get is if you had had some sort of traumatic brain injury or head injury or something of the sort. And, um, I started to think about those times when I came out of college, stuttering memory recall, mm -hmm. uh, word recall, and, um, how things were fairly poor when I first came out of college. For sure. Um, and how things have steadily improved over the, over the course of time and started reflecting what I've done and then hearing other people's testimonials um, online. Um, so which prompted me to start to look into like supplementation. And so there's a handful of supplements, different types of supplements, herbal, you know, herbal supplements, regular supplements that I've tested with and played around and toyed with that I, like I found works for me. And from what I understand that like everyone's situation is going to be a little bit different. So some, you know, one supplement may work for someone and not the other person. Right. So what are some of the ones that, that you've tested that work for you, you feel? So I like, um, uh, lithium orotate, which is different than like, um, the, like, uh, a psychiatric medication of like that you would hear lithium mm -hmm. that someone would like that might take for like bipolar or some other, right. you know, disorder. Um, it's, it's more along those lines of a mineral or like a salt that, um, you could in theory get from, uh, certain types of foods. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what foods those would be because it's in such small quantities. Um, uh, and, and if I think if I remember correctly, um, that lithium orate is one of the ones that like enhances cellular, like, like neural cellular repair and turnover, not turnover as far as like, um, inhibiting turnover, like uh, cell death of the neurons, um, that has helped out a lot. Um, Bacoba, uh, that's B, uh, A C O P A, I think. Um, and it's two words, Bacoba something, it starts with the M, um, that one, something similar, um, where it helps, um, increase, um, or decrease the amount of cellular damage, but also increase the amount of synapse firing. Um, and then I think, um, I could be mixing some of these reasons why they help out or not, but. Um, I, I think it also helps out with neurotransmitters and inhibiting the upregulation of neurotransmitters. Um, let's see, phosphatidylserine. Um, some people know it as like PS. Mm -hmm. You might actually see it just labeled as PS in the store, uh, supplement store. Um, 
but it's a long name, one word, phosphatidylserine. Um, a lot of similar benefits to the previous two I mentioned. Alpha-lipoic acid, which is a, um, uh, a really big antioxidant. And, um, oh yeah, going back to phosphatidylserine, why I like that one, is because it, um, uh, it, it's like really integral as far as the cellular wall lining of each neural cell that you have in your body, especially in your brain. Um, uh, so your brain is, your brain fats are primarily comprised of either DHA or phosphatidylserine or both. And, um, which brings me into like DHA is another huge one I use because, um, it helps nourish those, um, cellular walls in the brain and your, your brain, I think besides water by weight is mostly DHA if I remember correctly. Mm. Um, and uh, so the Bacoba, phosphatidylserine, um, DHA, and alpha-lipoic acid, or lithium are like the big ones. Are these, is this like a daily regimen that you yeah, consume? Yeah, it's, it's daily. And, and I've kind of tweaked with it, like, what do I take in the morning? What do I take at night? And vice versa, and the dosages, and just tweaked it over time. And I, I find what works, for, what works for me is um, uploading certain in the morning and not some at night, because some of them do like are, are mentally stimulating for me that it would keep me up at night. Um, so I'd front yeah. load some of them in the morning. They'll keep you from sleeping. Mm-hmm. I see. Whereas like if you read the literature, like on the ones that kept me up in the morning were the opposite, which were like people say they take them in the evening because they help put them to sleep. It was like, for me it was a complete opposite. So I just kind of had to learn that by trial and error. I got you. And did you, um, did you start with this sort of cocktail of supplements or did you start with one and see how it impacted you and kind of like I went do a, full out. I started yeah. with a huge cocktail. Yeah. Like, I mean three or, you know, like two or three fistfuls of just pills a day. Wow. Like not like a palm fill, like a fistful. Really? Yeah. And started to like take things out, put things back in. And, and there were a handful that I had tried and I can't remember maybe specifically what they were that I had taken out that I hadn't noticed anything from taking those out. So I'm just going to, assume that they weren't offering me any benefit to what I needed or could feel at the time. Gotcha. So, uh, when you do, well, when, let's say your routine is your, or your regimen here is dialed in perfectly. How does, mm-hmm. how do you feel now relative to how you felt when you first started noticing that your cognition was off? Yeah. So the, the best way I can explain it is, um, sharpness in thought. So the thoughts were always there, but they're more, they're more sharp and crystal clear. Um, at this point I can, um, verbally express them a lot better. Um, the, the, I say the, the, I'm like kind of stuttering as I'm thinking about it. the stuttering has significantly decreased, but that was, um, kind of waning when I started to change my diet a couple years back, but has improved to a certain degree with it, um, with these supplements. And, but I think the biggest one of all of them is motivation. Like, I was uh, like starting, like I had never really fully gotten back that motivation to do daily tasks, um, to a degree where that I'm at now. And when I started taking these supplements, it was like, oh my God, like the, like it was within 20 minutes that I started really? to like, oh my God, like let's do all the things. Let's just do everything right now. <laughs> and like, but it was very focused. It wasn't like scattered brained. It was like, I need to create a list and start from the top and order this list and just do it perfectly. Really? So yeah, it was, um, it was definitely eye opening for me wow. as far as, and, and these supplements are all things that like, 
I kind of, I pulled from either literature like medical journals or, or, or other doctors working with people with TBI. Um, so like, um, like I said, some things worked, but most things did. So I kind of, um, figured out just by looking at the broad spectrum of what other people on, you know, the Google machine had to say about it and what other doctors have worked with their patients. Hmm. Is there any safety information on like the long-term effects of taking like all these supplements or there are in, um, uh, one of the, you know, specifically, uh, lithium orotate. I, I think people are, are more cautious as far as that. And so, so I really make sure that I don't take anything up and beyond a certain dose. And I was really making sure that I was, um, I'd always look for, okay, what's the toxic dose? What's the therapeutic dose? And then let, let's kind of like, not go any like maybe a little bit higher than the therapeutic dose sometimes and a little bit lower and kind of play around from there but then like titrating on and off certain supplements um i, I do just because like of weariness weariness is even though there may not be a safety issue but lithium orotate was one of those that was like well long-term use could cause um some possible kidney issues mm. and by long-term use they meant like six months or longer so, oh, okay. You know, I'll go. So not weeks. that long, really. No, no, not that long. Yeah. Um, so, uh, fortunately, I do get blood work done, for, not specifically to that, but like from time to time through whether previous employers or whether means I need, need to get it done. And from there, I can see certain levels that I need to and make sure that they're still in range. Um, uh, and, um, but like with lithium or rotate, I will cycle on and off of them. Like I'll go for three weeks on, two weeks off, three weeks on, two weeks off. And the effects of at least um, that supplement specifically, um, it it is for me long lasting. Like I'll take them. And if, as long as I'm taking them consistently for a certain period of time, it will last. Mm -hmm. And then I can start to feel those effects wear off. And then when I start the supplement again, it will it will start, things will start to come back online. So, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a lot to this topic because, uh, you know, this idea of, of TBI, I guess it's relatively new, mm -hmm. um, at least to the public. I'm sure there's been, um, more research done on it than we know about. Yeah. But, um, one of my mentors, um, Dan Sullivan talks about a yeah. gentleman who has, who scans brains like you were talking about okay. earlier and what he's looking, he's looking for like dark spots or like dying spots. On yeah. The brain. And I, yeah, I think that's it might even be similar. the same guy. Yeah. Is he, is he over here in Scottsdale? Is, uh, is, he might his be. His name sounds familiar. So that's what I was wondering. Oh, Dan Sullivan. Yeah. Uh, he has a few different residences. But, okay. Uh, he's been in and out of the Valley training, but Got I don't it. think he has a, a residence here. Got it. But, um, yeah. So he was talking about how, the, the gauge of a good brain was like the amount of like dark spots or atrophy that he, the guy was mm, seeing yeah. in particular scans. And man, there's gotta be something to that with like trauma because like, you know, as well as I do, um, I'm sure you've seen interviews with like old fighters. Yeah. You know, like, uh, some of the last interviews with like Muhammad Ali, right? Totally. Totally. Like the guy could barely even speak. Yeah. And in, in like, that's that's a condition that you can get without TBI, but they do say that his was more head trauma related. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and there's got to be a lot of similarities to what happens under the helmet mm -hmm. you know, on a football field. Yeah. And so I know you've got some opinions on on uh, kids playing and helmets and all that. You want to dive into that? Yeah. So um, I fortunately have two girls right now, um, so right now I don't have to worry about them playing football or maybe necessarily get into a head, um, trauma or 
I would say, I guess there's always soccer, right? But like something more consistent, like a, a sport like football where you're constantly hitting. Soccer is hits. one of the sports that they accepted into the brain bank, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, because I know that there's a lot of collisions in, in, in those sports, but like as far as like constant, repetitive, every single play, thousands intentional, of, yeah, yeah, intentional hitting yeah. in the head. Um, so I have two girls in that regard. So um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm lucky and um, I don't have to worry about them maybe wanting to or the, the likelihood of them wanting to play football is significantly lower. I got one on the way, so I don't know if that is going to be a boy or a girl. We'll know until he or she is born. Um, but let's say it is a boy, and that boy is really interested in football. Um, like There will be an education period where I could talk to my child about that, uh, and my child can make a decision, and I'm not going to hold him or her back on what they want to do as far as sports-related activity. Um, so even if it means like a young man playing contact ball, like wearing helmets. Yeah. So, like that. so that's the other thing too. I was just gonna, I was starting to like, I was taking a deep breath and like, <laughs> I I'm, I'm conflicted as far as like at what age someone should play uh, a head related trauma type of sport. And I, I don't see a benefit to children necessarily playing um, tackle football. Um, at least not until, okay, maybe high school. Some might say 25, depending on what you're looking at as, as far as cognitive development. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I did fine. I, I waited till high school to play because, I, like I said, I was always too big to play, and I turned out fine as far as athletic development, got a full-ride scholarship to play at the next level. Um, and I even knew people I played with that – didn't play football until they were a senior in high school and still got a scholarship. So it's not like you have to play from a young age to, to make it to those next levels. And I think that's where a lot of concerns are like for people subconsciously is they think they have to develop these skills young and they really don't, they can play a lot. They should actually be playing a lot of other sports to develop their athleticism as many sports as possible. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think there, there's certainly something to the idea of you taking as many experiences as you can, and then you can synthesize all of that athletic development and, Mm. and then start getting specific with it. But I think there's also something to be said for, um, or maybe you could speak to this since you know, you, you experienced this, right? Um, there are certain people who maybe have natural abilities, right? Yeah. That didn't necessarily need to worry about developing those skills, yeah. you know, coming up through grade school or whatever, or maybe they're big like, like you, right? Yeah, totally. And, uh, a coach looks at you and goes, mate, we could put him on the line. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Like we could train this guy. Right. Um, you know, what do you say to that? Like someone who, who maybe wants to give their kid a leg up? Uh, I would say, um, you can't predict what the kid is going to be. Later on, I, I knew plenty of kids that I grew up with that were ultra talented in their sport. Uh, and by, I'd say, high school or even in the middle of high school, they weren't interested in that sport at all anymore. Um, whether they were burnt out from it or they're just interested in other things at that point. Like, so you can't predict, you can't give some, you can think you're giving, you might be giving them a leg up, but I think I've heard more people. Um, develop later on in life than develop early on in life as far as athletic ability. Yeah, I think there's something to that. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Wired Magazine. Mm -hmm. Uh, The founder, I think his name is Kevin Kelly, and he has this concept called, uh, I think he calls it premature optimization. No, interesting. And he talks about how, you know, a lot of times young people, kids, or parents of kids kind of push them down this path of choosing, you know, A, when they haven't even had a chance to experience B, C, D, or E. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, then they go through this experience and spend a large portion of their life optimizing. And I think in his world, it's more along the lines of like career. Yeah. Um, but I think it would apply to athletics as well, to at least to a certain degree. Um, because, you know, the neocortex isn't even fully developed until we're what, like 25 years old. Yeah, right? exactly. So I think there's something to that. And I think that, you know, it's probably valuable to allow, you know, your kids, no matter how much you want to be that sideline parent, you know, diversity to yeah. experience as many sports as they could possibly take in. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what I was, I, I guess, alluding to is I, I've also heard that as far as the, um, the children in that are exposed to more sports over a given period or even throughout the year are statistically have been shown. I don't know what the statistics are, but have been shown to be more successful in their athletic endeavors later on in life uh, versus those who uh, have focused on a, uh, a mono sport, like have just played club soccer or have just played, you know, whatever sport it was. Um, but, uh, you know, again, always outliers, but I think in general terms in general populations. Yeah. I think that just makes sense. Like when you think about it from a higher level perspective, because obviously there's going to be elements from one sport that are going to be applicable to yeah, bleed another over. sport. Yeah. And then there's going to be that bleed over. So the more experience you have and the more, let's say it's hand eye from baseball, you know, you bring that into any sport that requires catching a ball yep. or hitting a ball or mm. passing a coordination, ball. Right? Yeah. Coordination is huge. Right. So like, I think that just makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's funny to see, um, like this debate amongst, you know, uh, parents, coaches, you know, um, athletic organizations over, you know, what a child should do at what age and how yep. much exposure they should have to certain things, including, you know, full contact football where they're wearing helmets and all this kind of thing. When I was a kid, none of this existed. Yeah. You <laughs> right. <know? laughs> you're just, you're supposed to put on whatever you could put on and hit whoever you could, yeah. you could and hit. And the helmet right? probably Play. didn't fit. And the helmet didn't fit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, right? Didn't have a mouth guard that worked. You right, know, like right. it, it, it just, it's, it's amazing how far we've come or maybe not come as a group mm-hmm. of people in such a short period of time, like in just in my lifetime. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I and, and this could be, you know, the, the perception I have because of social media these days, but, um, I feel like almost, and, and also I'm a parent now too. So, um, maybe I'm just seeing it more, but I think parents have recently been pushed to, um, uh, focus more on one sport for their children. Um, for you whatever parent, reason, parents really. have been pushed. Yeah. I don't know if it's parents, but parents are pushing their kids parents to play kids, yeah. a single sport. And again, I don't know those conversations between the parent and the kid. Maybe it's the kid choosing that, but my perception is that kids are playing more single sports than multi-sports throughout the year. And, and, um, I'm not sure that's such a great idea. I think diversity is best, especially at young ages and that, you know, like a GPP model, you apply that same thing to sports and develop as many skills as possible. Yeah. So what do you think about this idea that, uh, I've talked to a couple of high school football coaches over the last few years. We've had a couple of them members at the gym. Yeah. Um, and they all whine and complain that kids are so soft and weak yeah, right, right. and like not committed, uh-huh. uh, to like playing football, you right. know, like it was, you know, I guess when I was a kid or you were a kid, mm-hmm. like, what are your thoughts on that? What have you seen? Um, I don't know. Uh, I, so I, you know, I'm just, more gym related and, you know, coaching part time and being a stay home dad the other part of the time. But and you're, you're also coaching some kids, right? I am. I, I coach uh, yeah, a kid, kids program. I've been coaching kids for a couple of years, but it's weird. Like the kids I get aren't the ones doing sports. Um, 
Like this is either the kid or their parents way of getting them involved in some sort of physical activity. So I haven't been really exposed to a whole lot of people playing sports because it almost seems like sports, their, their sport takes up too much of their time to be able to dedicate to uh, a program like uh, the kids program or a GPP type of program or that their high school team or their high school coach has dictated that they're going to work out, you know, doing these movements with no training of their own (laughs) to how to coach those movements. But I guess that's more my bias. So uh, uh, what age group are you coaching uh, with CrossFit right now? Uh, Four. Four and up. Yeah. Yeah, I have a dedicated program for uh, seven to 11 year olds. Okay. And then. um, So you're right in that Pop Warner sort of football age group. And then I'll I'll coach as low as four to six when um, certain times of the year come up like summer. Um, and, and parents have more time to bring their kids in and my time frees up a little bit more. Like I, I ran a summer program this last year, uh, for four to six year olds. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Different, different programming. It's not like it, it's, it's CrossFit kids model. That's where I've got my background in, in coaching kids and my certification. But, um, I, I would say it, it's more fun and skills and game space than really anything at that okay. age and just getting them exposed to doing stuff just right. stuff so you're just getting them moving really yeah like it's, exactly. not, it's just not the same as having them on a football field where you're asking yep. them to do maybe hard things or things where they have to concentrate for long periods mm-hmm. of time exactly yeah. yeah i think that's uh i haven't seen it personally but that that's just the word on the street to me and i was curious if you had seen that uh, yeah. in the gym but i guess the model is so different that it doesn't really apply right right and i you know it could be different parts of the city for us too but i don't we don't i don't see a lot of at least high school athletes, um, specifically like male high school athletes. I see, um, maybe in the off season a little bit, but definitely not during the season, which is complete opposite from where I was at. I was in the gym year round like that. That's, I don't know how that was. If if you guys had a dedicated gym program, but like me and my friends, like during the season, we still lifted. We were in the gym at 5 a.m you know, before practice, before school, which is, and then practice was after school. So like it was a year round program because, um, you know, you're doing those kind of things. You're, you're basically eliminating the risk or reducing the risk of injury during Mm -hmm. those sports. What are the, uh, what is CrossFit putting out in terms of like, um, you know, uh, like the way working out impacts a child's body? Uh, I know when I was a yeah. kid, there was all this negative information totally. about, you know, kids shouldn't lift, kids shouldn't yeah, do that this, on kids your, shouldn't do that. Uh, growth, plate, growth plates and all that stuff. I remember hearing all that as well. Um, those That research has actually been debunked. And um, uh, they show a lot of that during the CrossFit Kids certifications and the reasons why it's been debunked, how it's been debunked, or even why those misconceptions has have come up um, as far as why those are bad and um, there's actually no good science around that a good dedicated strength general strength conditioning program or a program like CrossFit or CrossFit kids would hinder someone's ability to grow and develop as a human being. So how did that get started? That, uh, I, I, that was huge when I was a kid. I think it came down to, um, almost like anything I, I think that is shown to be pseudoscience or bad science is that someone along the lines cherry picked some data mm. um, and or embellished and then um, didn't formulate their 
their scientific paper the way it should have been. So like the data wasn't truthful and things kind of spiraled out of control from there. I, I, I don't know if uh, I can't remember their names, but there's recently been some uh, debate in like the college or not college, the uh, medical literature about, um, you know, what you can trust and what you can't trust. And that a group of two gentlemen, um, it might've been three gentlemen, but two were on the podcast I was listening to actually, um, published some fake literature and it was actually pushed through as real, real literature, but their, their intent was to show that you can't trust things because we made up some junk science that these medical journals bought and sold as real science. And so what's real and what's not. Yeah. I saw that. That was pretty interesting. And those guys were just yucking it up about yeah. it. It was so funny. And I think they had multiple papers published. They did uh, peer reviewed yeah. journals. Yeah, they submitted something like thirty, and they still had like something like uh, you know, two digits worth of journals published. Yeah, it yeah. makes you wonder how you know authoritative some of these quote unquote peer reviewed sites could be. I mean, yeah. it's a huge knock when something like that can happen. Right. Right. It's yeah. Funny, but I've always been kind of skeptical about, uh, I guess, really any conventional wisdom or conventional science well, yeah i think you almost have to be in today's yeah. world there's there's so many rumors and sort of cliches floating around and, mm-hmm. and it's like where did that come from well yeah uh, who even knows we're just repeating it because someone repeated it to me you know yeah kind of yeah exactly yeah it all gets perpetuated that way right right exactly yeah. so how important is mindset when it comes to training in your in your eyes like uh, when you're working with adults when you're working with kids like what does that even factor into what you see happening in the gym yeah, totally. I'll start with kids. Um, as young as kids, if a kid doesn't want to be there, they're not gonna they're not gonna trade well. They might even like put themselves at risk for injury. Our kids are really hard to injure. I think just in general, like how their bodies are structured structured. But um, it um, like if you don't want to be there, you're not gonna put in the focus to want to get better, which could lead to injuries. Um, and that same thing with adults um, mindset. Um, there are adults that just want to come in to move to a gym and they don't necessarily care about, you know, collapsed elbows on a front rack position. And you could tell them all day long why and how and show them and they'll do it until you turn your back and then they're going to revert back to what they want to do because they're not concerned about that kind of stuff. And, um, then there's the athletes that want to come in here and get better and, um, you know, do have the focus and, um, they are going to put in the time and effort to show the, show that improvement. And then there's natural athletes too, right? That was just improving everything. But then mindset, I, I always like to think about too, is, um, we talked about like that aggressive rage behavior, that focused behavior I had, I developed, my, uh, during college football is that, um, still to this day, like going to the gym, the gym's a battleground to me. Like I need to listen to some hardcore rock. And like people around me know that. Um, so when I'm coaching, I'll throw on hardcore rock and there are some individuals that just can't, that won't, that don't want that. Right. So there's even that different mentality is like, how do you put yourself into a mental state to do what you're going to, what you're about to do and get the most amount of results out, out of. So some people just want to move. Some people are there to socialize and some people are there to get the most out of it. And I think you kind of have to respect all of that. Yeah. So as a coach, do you, do you see any responsibility in sort of adjusting their mindset or trying to 
to push them into a specific mindset or do you just coach around that? I coach around. I like try to coach around it. Um, like I'm not going to push an aggressive behavior. I will foster it when I see it in somebody. Um, but if someone's just there to move, like I will be that guy in the background trying to motivate them to go faster and, you know, you know, just, you know, meet where, meet them where they are, I guess, if you will. And, um, and then everywhere else in between, uh, like you try to mold to your population and not have your population mold mold to you. So before I ask my last question, uh, tell these guys how they can get in touch with you, where they can find you. Yeah. So, um, if you're looking at a physical location, um, I, I'm, if I'm not at home being a stay at home dad, I'm either coaching, um, at one or two gyms, both in Chandler, Arizona. Um, one's a fit society and the other one is CrossFit in the summer. Um, those, I mean, physically that's where you can find me social media. Um, I don't really, you know, have an open Facebook account, you know, to most people I don't know, but I I'm definitely, uh, active and open to participating in people I don't know with on, uh, Instagram. And my Instagram handle is, uh, coach underscore Bercules, which would be like Hercules, but with the bear. And I got that nickname handed to me when I was, I was playing or not playing, um, in my last employer, um, people would joke around just cause I was probably bigger than most of the population around me. So my name's bear and someone would just kind of slapped them two together. So I just threw it on there as a joke and kind of stuck so hey. coach underscore Bercules. Makes sense, man. Makes yep. sense. So I know you have uh, plans to keep coaching and, uh, um, you know, you have a wealth of knowledge that you bring to the table. So when you're working with people, uh, what is it you want to convey to them? What is it that you want them to walk away from you? Um, you know, having bettered themselves or knowing about you or carrying into their lives in a, in a much bigger and better way. Yeah. So, uh, when, you know, I'm walking around those, those gym type environments and coaching and helping people out. Um, I like to be as present as possible, but also, um, you know, bring the excitement. Uh, I, I really hate, you know, walking into someone else's gym if I, if I've gone traveling and, and the coach is just not excited to be there. And so even during the boring workouts, like I, I, I try to, I try to be as fun or as goofy as possible. And cause I sometimes think that can uplift a population even when they're feeling down and tired. And, um, so, um, you know, as far as that regard uh, on one hand and the other regard would be like, I, I, I tried to be as a tactician as possible with the people I work with and the capacities and knowledge that I know, um, always trying to help people out, get better in the gym. And, um, I don't want people to know that I'm overlooking them. I always like to try to try and it doesn't always happen, but try to have a touch point with, you know, everyone in the gym that I'm working with as a coach, um, every single, every single time they're there in my class. Super important stuff, man. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you guys are down in the, the South side of the Valley, be sure and uh, check out those gyms, uh, connect with, uh, Barrett on Instagram. Um, and on behalf of Barrett and myself, we will see you guys in the next episode of Hardwater Radio. Take care, guys.